This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is that perfect will of God? Well, we might ask ourselves, do we mainly embrace the worldly, frivolous things of life, or do we pursue Jesus Christ and that which is meaningful in life? It can be hard to do the latter, totally impossible, in fact, if it weren't for the Lord working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure as Philippians 2 reminds us. And we also have to remember what Galatians 3 says, that we are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, having been baptized into Christ and having clothed ourselves with Christ. We have put on Christ. And so we have to pursue different things than the world pursues. But if we aren't doing that so well, how do we reset our lives to avoid living lives of triviality? Really an important question. We're going to talk about it today with Jason Lancaster, a pastor for over 20 years. He now ministers at a retirement community in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. And today we will be discussing his book, The Trivial Life, Escaping the Default Mode of the Human Heart. Jason, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? Good. Appreciate you having me. Well, thank you. Talk to us about this problem of triviality that surrounds us. What are some of your concerns about that? Well, I spent uh, many years ministering in Los Angeles and Chicago, mainly among the younger generation, uh, those who we would say are launching in life and we want to get them fired up for Christ. We want to get them sending out for, as missionaries, evangelism, and all that. And we try to get them to say no to the trivial things of the world. And, and at that age, it can be it can be materialist things. It can be um, sexual morality. We want them to pay attention daily on what they're doing with their life so they can launch in life. But now I'm in a retirement community, and what's happening here is people are landing in life. They're older. And what I'm finding is some of the same things the younger generation struggled with to launch in life, the generation here uh, in the retirement community is also struggling to land in life. And that can be whether it's regrets on the things they've done and get caught up in things of recreation or travel. And so there's many things, if we're not paying attention to what we're doing daily, we can get caught up in trivial things that distract us from what we really want to do. That is so interesting. I hadn't thought about the age spectrum, but we often think when we're talking about being engaged in trivial things, we do think of younger people, you know, playing on your phone too much or watching too many movies or doing dumb things, you know, stupid uh, ideas that you have and you're going out and making mischief or what have you. But I'm interested to ask you when you talk about the seniors that you're dealing with and struggling to land is the way you put it. What kinds of trivialities do you see specifically on that side of the age group? Um, You know, when you're talking about people not dealing or or not focusing, as it were, on the weighty things of life. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you've retired. It's time to play time to live it up and if you're not careful you can think okay i gotta spend my days playing golf hmm. spend my days doing crafts but there's still many a plenty of uh, ministry opportunities we got we're surrounded by people even at that age demographic who don't know jesus hmm. and we're seeing people who are older 
still coming in Christ. One Labor Day weekend, we baptized 20 people. So there are people that the church needs to be reaching for Christ. And if we're caught up in our own little thing, our, our, our little cruises and vacations, I'm not saying you can't take a cruise, don't go on vacation. But when that becomes your main thing, then I think we're off mission. Yeah, I agree with you there. So you talk about this pursuit of triviality as being a problem of the heart. What ails us when we are focused on the trivial more than we're focused on what you call the weighty life? I think it's a it's a it's a daily thing for us where we can have a, a great time with the Lord, maybe in worship and fellowship and memorizing scripture one day and the next day we, we think we're gonna coast off the day before. Um, but you know, we find ourselves that there seems to be something in us as human beings <laughs> that we forget and the next day we go back to this default mode because even as believers there's something this flesh that's trying to entice us to continue to go back to our default the way we used to operate it before. But now we have the Holy Spirit to empower us, to bear fruit, to live for His glory. But it's, it's, a, it's a daily abiding. And if we're not abiding in Christ, we're going to be abiding in something else if we're not careful. Well, do you see yielding to the trivialities of life when you major in that too much? Do you see that as caving to the flesh? Would that be in that category, do you think? I think so. I think so. I think we can get distracted and came into the flesh. I mean, we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. A lot of that could be mixed and mashed together. But, but I think there's a daily kind of war against our soul. And when we don't see that we're at war ourselves, and part of those is taking up the weapons of our warfare, the Word of God, the shield. Yep. And, and if we're not paying attention in fellowship, and we're, we're cut off. And that's the biggest thing I see is whether you're young or old, when people get cut off from fellowship, they're so easily enticed by the trivialities of the world. Fellowship is, is key. I don't care if you're in college or if you're retired. You've got to be around other people to be encouraged to live for the glory of God, the weightier life. Yeah, you really do. So when we're talking about triviality versus the weighty life, as you say, I'm sure people would say something along the lines of, well, wait a minute. I mean, we should be able to have some fun. We don't have to always have, you know, a sour look on our face and be very, very serious all the time. What would you say the definition of the weighty life should be? What all should that entail for a Christian? Yeah, because if you're not careful, you can think, oh, you mean we've got to have some type of work salvation or yeah. we have to have this radical Christian life where we're going to wake up every day and be ready to die for Christ, which is all true. But at the same time, it's not a work salvation. It's a joy. And, and I think what we have a problem we have as Americans is that we, we, we kind of cut ourselves off from things which would be painful in our life. We, we try to avoid that. I mean, I, I remember being uh, in a nursing home and talking to uh, y- the children of the parents in the nursing home, and they would say something like, I just can't see my mom or dad like this. And so mm-hmm. they stopped visiting. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not about you. Yep. And I think a lot of things, if we live the weightier life, it's there's going to be struggle. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pushback. And it doesn't mean we're trying to live a miserable life. But when we start to engage the world and love people, there's going to be some suffering that accompanies that because those who are living uh, a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience some pain and suffering and suffer- and, and pushback. But it doesn't mean that we're going to live this miserable, sour life. There's joy and serving Christ and getting caught up in his kingdom ways. Oh, amen to that. We could have an hour discussion about nursing homes too. I've lived that, lived through that nightmare and I know exactly what you're talking about and you're right about that. How much of this problem of triviality do you think has to do with our being discontent or being just selfish on some level? 
Oh, you're just you know you're pretty much describing my life. I'm, <laughs> I'm not careful. Uh, I have this I have discontent co- coming up daily, and so I'm searching for other things to, to fill fill that void instead of Christ. Uh, to fill that void instead of getting caught up in His kingdom ways, and you know, just think about your daily feed on your phone and scrolling through social media, and and uh, unfortunately, that kind of feeds the discontent. Yes, it feeds it more and more. The more you're on there, the more you're, and it's not just a younger people problem either. I mean, the older generations on social media just as much, and they can feed that discontent, which you're missing out on. You better start cranking out your bucket list. You're about to die, and that just kind of feeds into that discontent life. It does. And not only that, but social media in and of itself is so trivial in many respects, even if you're following news feeds. And I do this for my job, obviously. But it's so trivial. You can be on Twitter for half an hour and then say, that's 30 minutes. I'll never get back. What did I gain, really, by going on social media, you know, and seeing the picture of the girl, you know, doing the peace sign for the 50th time today? You know, why am I even wasting my time with all of this? It's just, it's, but that's our default mode. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we can just get so caught up in that. Maybe we're bored. Maybe we're discontent with other things. And we think this is going to fill it. And I mean, I fall for that just as well. If I'm not careful, I got to pay attention to what I'm doing with my life. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I also think it's an escape. Is that part of it yeah. too? That a lot of people say, let me just do something stupid and fun because the world around me is so depressing. I can't face it. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I've been there as well. And, and a lot of that times we get caught up with, with not just boredom, but then that can just fall into depression, that can fall into anxiety, and a variety of other things that I've struggled with as well. And when you start to feel those ways, then you turn away from the Lord, and you can be tempted to turn more to trivial matters uh, of, of this world. And so I, I've been down that road at certain times in my life, even as a pastor. And if we're not careful, we'll kind of get in that pit and not get out. That's right. Jason Lancaster, my guest, The Trivial Life is the name of his book. We'll come back after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a preborn center, it is a divine appointment. It's where she encounters the love of Jesus Christ and has the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her and find out that every baby's life matters. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 
80% of women in crisis pregnancies choose life after meeting their babies on ultrasound. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, it's certainly true that a lot of us can get caught up in trivial matters, and it's really a crazy thing when you consider how much more we can be and should be doing for the kingdom of God and glorifying God with a life that really has meaning and purpose. The Trivial Life is the name of the book we're talking about with its author, Jason Lancaster, who ministers to a retirement community in Arkansas. Jason, you talk about Solomon, and and I think about Solomon too. In fact, before I ever got to that part in your book, I was thinking about him because, you know, when you read through Ecclesiastes and, and you read about vanity, vanity, all is vanity. How do we highlight the life of Solomon as somebody who really was into the trivial life and then presumably realized its emptiness? The thing is, if Solomon can't pull it off, you can't either. If Solomon couldn't pull off finding meaning and purpose, he had all the money he wanted. He had all the sex he wanted. He could do all these great projects that he wanted to do. And ultimately, when it was all said and done, he said, what is the point of all this? This is vain. This is a vapor. It's all going to pass away. I'm still going to die. And if he couldn't pull it off, what do you think that you can or I can? And it just shows you, hey, we don't need to go down that road. We don't have to follow in his footsteps. The wisest person ever lived next to Christ couldn't pull it off in his flesh. Why do we think we can? (laughs) Well, that's right. It goes back to Romans 12, which I quoted at the outset of our interview, when the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We aren't supposed to be thinking like the world. We are not of this world, as Jesus said, and the world hates us because it hated him. Have we lost that? Is that part of the picture as well in your mind? I think so, and I'm not trying to be dogging on the church because I'm just talking about myself. I mean, a lot of things you got to admit. We, we as American Christians, we just like to be comfortable. We like security. We like safety. We like to send our kids to churches and make sure they have plenty of programs for them. And we like air conditioning churches. And we talk about, hey, let's go back to Acts two church. Well, let's first turn off the air conditioner. I mean, uh. <laughs> we, we kind of are always trying to pursue comfort. Yeah. What are we doing? And so we got to really ask some hard questions of our hearts. Well, we do. Now, you talk about something that you call visioneering. I love when people make up words. This is fun. But how does that play into this quest to escape the trivial life? Well, I think rather than visioneering a life that is going to be lived for yourself, to get a bigger vision of a life lived for the glory of God. And I'm not saying to go out and just try to find the most miserable life that you can live. That's not at all I'm talking about. What has really impacted me the most, and I don't mean to get off on a tangent here, but I see a lot of vulnerable children in our country and, of course, worldwide. Uh, and so when I would go over to uh, pursue adoption in Ethiopia, I'm like, okay, I'm bringing back my daughter, mm-hmm. but there's still millions of kids that can be cared for. And then I go down to, to Haiti or to Jamaica and interact with children there. Lots and lots of suffering. But even in America, I think, wow, there is a lot of children in our foster care system that are languishing and struggling, and the church can really engage that. And I see the lack of engagement, a clear indication that we, as a church on a whole, a lot of us are just ignoring these 
ways that we can step in because we like comfort. We like peace. We want things in order. And getting into someone else's life from their other history, we don't like the big, we don't like the idea of taking care of orphans and widows. Mm. (laughs) It's not that popular right now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. That's just one example. So how do you know if your life has become too trivial? Certainly there will be things that pop up in any life that on the grand scale of things are rather trivial compared to more important things in your life. But how do you know really when you have become too trivial, your life is a little bit empty because you're focusing on things that are frivolous? Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a, it's kind of this scale. I mean, we're not going to live in perfection toward which with Christ, but you, you can just start to to see some things like, are you a, you know are you utilizing technology or are you addicted to technology? Are you enjoying sports in perspective or are you obsessed hmm. with sports? You know, are, are, ask yourself: Are you content? Are you discontent? There's a lot of these categories you can say. Okay, I'm living the meaningful life, and if I slip off. I'm slipping off into a trivial life. Am I engaging relationships or am I doing the self-centered withdrawal thing? Mm-hmm. You know, am I generous with my money or am I using it to be materialistic? So I think when we try to think in these terms, well, we're not going to be perfect, but where are we at on these kind of these sliding scales of examining our hearts and our minds? Yeah, that's good. I was thinking about Ephesians 2.10 saying we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And sometimes if you spend time with that verse in a Bible study, somebody will say, well, how do we know what are the good things God wants us to do? What are the important things? Maybe that's the question on which we should be focused. How do you construct your life as a Christian to focus on weighty matters? People always want details, but how do you discover what those good works are that God wants you to do? I say the next thing that you know is obedience to Jesus. Do that. I get home. I got to engage my kids, lead family worship, do that. I got to go and serve so-and-so, do that. So what's the next thing you know? Do it before you talk yourself out of it. (laughs) Whether if you're with someone you need to share the gospel, share the gospel. You got to care for someone, care for someone. And I think a lot of this, I think the question you really ask yourself is, is engagement. Are you engaging and serving other people? It's not really cool. I mean, we talk about being a servant, but... Truly, to be a servant is to put others before yourself, right. and that's a difficult way to live. But you can see those who are walking in humility, serving others, putting others for themselves. I would say that's the way to your life. That's the life that glorifies God, where you, you consider others better than yourselves. That's really good. Another word that you use in the course of your book, I like this in relationship to farming, for example, is agritainment. And I, I related to this. I, I've not worked on a farm, but I know these farms, we see a lot of it where we are, where they'll have a farm, a working farm, and then they'll have like a pumpkin patch and some bounce houses and things like that. How does that relate to this whole issue you're talking about? Yeah, and, and, and agritainment's great for my kids. I can take my kids, go bounce on the the farm little bounce house, but you know, that's not the point of a farm, yeah. a farm. You're supposed to bear, you know, grow stuff and bear fruit. And as Christians, if we're not careful, that's the point of our lives to bear fruit. Yes. But if we're caught up in the things of the world, we can think, Oh, it's all about making money. It's about having these elite families or my kids are great at sports about comfort. It's about, Hey, all these great vacations. We can take me centric fun and we can turn bearing fruit into entertainment farming. Hmm. We're not careful. Yeah, and and again, we're going back to this idea that we have put off sin and we have put on Jesus Christ. 
Do you think this is a matter of many Christians just not going back to the basics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that you are not your own, you were bought with a price, glorify God in your body, and all of these commandments about doing good works, not to earn our salvation, obviously, because Christ did that for us, but to bear fruit, going back to Galatians, I mean, what role does the Holy Spirit play in helping us to leave behind the trivial life? Absolutely. I think if we're not careful, I can preach messages or we can believe messages that we say, just stop sinning. But we're not just trying to stop stuff. We also want to put stuff in its place. Ephesians 4 is like, put off lying, put on speaking the truth. And then you got put off impurity, put off holiness, put off greed, put on generosity. And so you have a variety of these put off, put on languages, and the put on is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're just not trying to get rid of sin and then live a neutral life. There is no neutral life. And right. so we put off sin and we put on love, put on forgiveness, put on words that build up. There's a lot of that put on language empowered by the Spirit. Yeah, and it seems like Paul's description of Romans in Romans 7 is relevant here because I don't do what I do want to do and I do do what I don't want to do. And again, you have the new nature in Christ when we were born again, but you also have the old nature, which clings to us. How do you resolve that in your own life? When you're, when you're struggling with these issues, if I know what I should be doing and I don't do it the way I want to, how does my relationship to Jesus Christ help me to obey him? Is there hope for me when I feel like I just can't obey the Lord the way I should? You got to fall back on grace, fall back on the gospel, keep coming back to the cross keep living this daily life for repentance and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works, saved by grace. And when we fall, we just got to keep coming back. Jesus, ask for the spirit to empower us and surround yourself with people who can encourage you to go in the right direction. That's really good. What would you say is one of the things that has been a weighty thing that you've been doing in your life or have done in the past in your life that has really helped you clarify this issue of the trivial isn't worth it compared to the great things that God has for us to do? Is there any example in your life you would point to? I would say moving in the direction of caring for vulnerable children by bringing them into my family through adoption has radically changed my understanding of the, of the father adopting us. It's put me in a world that I never thought I'd be in. I'm not a kid person, but God has <laughs> you are done now. work in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's changed a lot. But but it, it's it also has brought on more suffering than I ever imagined would happen Mm -hmm. uh, in my own life. But there is growth there. There is grace there. There is mercy there. And so that would be the big, huge daily living example for me. Well, and just ministering to God's people, that in and of itself is a weighty thing because that's not an easy job. And when you're, you're dealing with the sheep, that's not an easy job either. No, it's not. It's not. But once again, that goes back and you just continue to think how the father bears and suffers along with us. And we can bear and suffer along with others and care for them, even when they're getting off on the trivial matters to encourage them. Because, I I mean, no one really wants to live the trivial life. We don't want to land in life and think, oh, well, I cannot wait to do all these trivial things. I mean, when it's all said and done, if you're a believer, you don't want to live that way. Right. And, I'm, and I interact with a lot of people in this age demographic that have so many regrets, mm-hmm. but they're they're turning things around. they got grace, they have mercy, and they're making good decisions. It doesn't matter how old they are, you can still live for the glory of God. Well, you can't. I think in particular when you're speaking of seniors, what a ministry they can have of intercession. I mean, even if you have some physical limitations, you can pray. And boy, do people... 
uh, need prayer today, not just today, but every day. That That's a huge ministry, the ministry of intercession alone. I would say that's the number one thing that I feel like my people, <laughs> the church gives to me, the, the, my brothers and sisters of that age demographic, pray far more than I pray. And they pray and intercede for me and my family. It's been very special. That is Absolutely. so neat. Well, a great book, The Trivial Life, Jason Lancaster with us. Jason, it was great to talk to you. God bless you as you go forward in your ministry. It was wonderful to talk to you. Bless you as well. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. As much as the left loves to tout the benefits of government health care, all is apparently not well with the Affordable Care Act. And this was illustrated recently in an opinion piece at USA Today from one Obamacare customer. Christopher Briggs wrote that contrary to Obamacare's claims that dependents up to the age of 26 would be covered under their parents' plans, he said that isn't actually true. And he cited his own failed experience trying to get coverage for his 24-year-old daughter. He added that the ACA could not sell his family insurance that adequately covered his youngest daughter as she struggled to survive cancer. Can you believe it? No wonder so many Americans want to have other options besides government health care or insanely expensive private health insurance through an employer. We're going to get some perspective on it now from Matt Bellis, Chief Communications Officer for Liberty Health Share, a national nonprofit health care sharing ministry. Welcome, Matt. Great to talk to you again. Thank you for having me, Janet. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, this sounds like a bit of a nightmare. I don't know if you saw the piece or not, but I was just amazed. Here they've made such promises. You you can have your child on your health care plan up to age 26. Turns out this guy who was all in on it has a, a daughter with cancer, and he's having not only problems getting her coverage, but the website is having problems. Do you, do you think that the government health care utopia that many people were sold is now becoming pretty evident? The, the, the problems with it are becoming more and more evident? Absolutely. And frankly, if uh, the American people uh, are to be convinced of anything, it's going to be in their pocketbooks. Yep. Uh, we've actually seen within the past 10 years a rise in the cost of health care, saw an increase of almost 32 percent in health care costs. From 2010, we were spending $2.6 trillion, and now we're up to $3.8 trillion a year in health care expenses. Uh, that is with the uh, Affordable Care Act in place. In 2020, an average family alone spent in health care coverage around $20,500 per year. Ugh. So people are definitely seeing the effects of this type of overarching, bureaucratic, top-down decision-making medicine type of, uh, of system and realizing that it does not work in the way that it was promised and we really need to be doing something different. Well, we do. When you talk about that number, $3.8 trillion and, and rising, you go back to 1970 and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services said in 1970, the total expenditures on health care were $74 billion. 
I mean, the difference between 74 billion and 3.8 trillion. At what point is it that people say, I just can't afford any? It feels like I can't afford anything anymore as far as my health care. Everything is going up, especially during a time of inflation. Families are really hurting. It really is a tough time to be out there because we have seen inflation throughout the uh, the, uh, the recent months. Uh, we've seen food increases. We've seen supply increases in terms of building materials. There's a lot of things, unfortunately, going against the average family in uh, in the world today. So we need to start finding solutions that are available right now in the here and now uh, to some of the big problems that we're seeing. Well, right. So when you're talking about medical cost sharing for people who aren't familiar with how Liberty HealthShare works, how is it different from health insurance? How is it different from what somebody would experience if they went on the exchanges or if they secured a plan through their employer? What is the main difference? Well, the main difference is that we're a group of individuals who are helping each other in healthcare. It's not a bureaucratic send in your money every single month. Maybe you'll see some of that money back whenever you go to the doctor or hospital. This is completely different. This is neighbor helping neighbor. This is individual reaching out to another individual to help them with their real, actual medical expenses. Each and every month, our members send in what's called a, a share amount. That share amount is directed by Liberty Health Share to other members who have real needs, real medical bills for that month to actually pay for their health care expenses. So this isn't a third-party payment system. This is more like cost sharing. This is more uh, 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 crowdfunding. <laughs> this is going to your church on Sunday and seeing somebody in need and giving them money. This is a completely different way of approaching your health care, but it gives you freedom, it gives you choice, and it allows you to operate within a community of like-minded people who share in each other's medical expenses. Well, Matt, I'm sure there are many people listening who can identify with the problems that a lot of us have had. I've been one of them in the past where you have an issue with your health insurance carrier and you end up on the phone for three or four hours. What happens in an instance where, where there's a question about a bill or a question about something you've been charged. How are those sorts of things resolved if you're part of Liberty HealthShare? And how how does that all get resolved? Well, we do face those issues, however few they might be. We do face those issues where a doctor or hospital system may try to balance bill, just basically saying everything was paid for, but then the hospital wants more for one reason or another. Or there might be a surprise billing issue where they're uh, trying to get uh, extra money on an extra service. Uh, But here's the thing. Even though we're all each individually responsible for our own health care within Liberty HealthShare, you're not alone. We're here to help you. We're here to walk through that process with you. They are your health care bills, but the community and the organization of Liberty Health Share is here to advocate for you on your behalf to make sure that you're not being overcharged, unfairly charged, or going through a process that would damage you financially. We're here to help you in any way that we can. So anytime that there's a problem, call it in. 
We're here for you. We've got people standing by to help you in your time of need. Well, and now when you're talking about cost, as we were discussing earlier, how expensive it has become to have private medical insurance, or even if you're on the exchanges, the cost can be exorbitant and seem to be going up all the time. How is it that you keep costs down? What is the difference in the systems that helps you keep costs lower for people who are part of Liberty HealthShare? Well, I would say the first thing that we do is that we unleash the most powerful cost containment measure in healthcare today, and that's the individual private pay patient. When people are responsible for their health care bills and they feel that they're in charge of their health care bills, they make choices, decisions, they get in conversations with their doctor to try and keep it low. They negotiate lower. I have a friend of mine who's a member of Liberty Health Share who goes to his doctor and instead of sending Liberty Health Share or anybody else two hundred and $250 uh, uh, doctor visits, he prepays $50 to his doctor and then just sends in that $50 bill to Liberty Health Share to get reimbursed. Hmm. It's the it's the options that individuals have to make changes within their healthcare decisions that really start to bring the cost lower in healthcare. And that's just a small sample. The second thing that we do is that we don't go through actuarial uh, uh, analysis. We don't try to predict what the cost of healthcare is going to be because we have seen systematically how that continues to uh, increase the cost of healthcare year over year. We're paying on the actual bill of health care. Whenever our members go to the doctors, we base that price off of a real number. Then we make sure that we're sharing on the actual cost and not some inflated number based on actuarial processes. So we're going through the process every single day trying to make sure that our members are paying for the highest quality health care possible for the lowest dollar amount. Right. Now we're talking about medical expenses, and that's one area. But sometimes listeners will wonder, what about dental or vision coverage? Do you offer those sorts of options as well? We have programs within our system uh, that allow you to find discounts on those things. A lot of our members, because they've been able to save money on their monthly amounts of health care within Liberty HealthShare, they've gone and purchased other insurances for eye and dental and otherwise. Uh, But it really does start to reframe the conversation whenever you're part of Liberty HealthShare. How do I responsibly become a consumer of health care that uses my money and dollars wisely to get discounts, to get other coverages, or other ways to make sure that my health care needs are met. So even though Liberty HealthShare doesn't directly do any kind of dental or, or uh, eye insurance or anything like that, uh, we do have discount programs that you can work through, and it allows you to explore other options for you because of a lot of the money that people save. Well, you can check more out over at the website, libertyhealthshare.org, libertyhealthshare.org, and you can find out more. Matt Bellis, thank you so much for being with us again. Matt, take care. Thank you, Janet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the Word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Bibleist believer praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. I've seen people being changed by reading the scripture. Giving a Bible to somebody is the greatest gift you can give somebody in life. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I bet you didn't know the CDC had more power than the Congress. Well, apparently the CDC does have more power than Congress, but going back to the Supreme Court, one wonders why we fought as hard as we did to defend Brett Kavanaugh. At least I'm wondering that. I'm not saying he can never give a good decision, but this goes back to the ruling of the Supreme Court. Remember this? Because there was a ruling in May from a district judge who had said this eviction moratorium that the CDC had imposed actually occurred outside the scope of its authority. So that order was put on hold. There was an appeal pending on this. The Supreme Court denied a request to vacate the stay on the ruling, Fox points out. It was only because it was already set to expire on the 31st of July. So Kavanaugh, who could have voted the right way, wrote in a concurring opinion that the CDC actually did exceed its power with the moratorium, but because it was about to end, eh, we'll just allow it to continue. That's not your job as a Supreme Court justice, by the way. You're supposed to properly interpret the law. You're supposed to make sure that what is being done by Congress or whomever is being done in a constitutional manner, in a legal manner. It's crazy. So there could have been a 5-4 ruling to vacate the stay on the eviction moratorium, and this wouldn't even be an issue. Then you had President Biden saying basically that it wasn't constitutional to extend the eviction moratorium, but he's getting all kinds of pressure from the far left. And he just, I don't think he has any core at all. I think he just does whatever the left wants to do at any given moment, which is why you can go back in the past and see him contradicting himself all over the place. Oh, I'm tough on crime. I'm tough on crack dealers. And then it's superimposed next to a video of his son doing drugs. Yeah, okay. 
Now, this is a lot of politicians these days. So now we have the CDC issuing a new 60-day eviction moratorium. So the CDC now has the authority to tell people who own property that they cannot make money renting their property to people who owe them money for renting their property. How in the world is this legal? It isn't. It's not legal. It's not constitutional. The Supreme Court could have taken care of this. What do you want to do, Biden administration? I'm convinced, based on other evidence, that what they really want to do is they want to destroy private property. We've been talking about this for quite a few years now. When it goes back to this AFFH rule and the whole plan to destroy the suburbs, this goes back to Cory Booker and Barack Obama. They want to get into the business of suburbs so they can mess with zoning and mess with federal funding based on certain rules. And effectively, what they can do is destroy the suburbs because apparently the suburbs are inherently systemically racist or something like that. I mean, everything else is, so why not the suburbs? Doesn't matter what the demographic makeup is of any given suburb, apparently. It's just, it's racist to live in a suburb and you just, you need to atone for your sins. This, it's just so outrageous and they better file a lot of lawsuits against this. That's all I can say. I hope it's fast and furious and I hope somebody with good sense will put a stop to this again Not that the Supreme Court did. I just am so mad about this. Uh, There was one writer over at Business Insider who pointed out that the criminal penalties for this are just over the top. This new 60-day CDC eviction moratorium. Oh, man, this is incredible. It says a person violating this order may be subject to a fine of no more than $100,000 or one year in jail if the violation does not result in a death. And if it does result in a death, a fine of no more than $250,000 or one year in jail or as otherwise provided by law if the evicted person dies. I'm sorry, aren't you the same crowd who loves putting tents all over some of our big cities across this land and having homeless people live in tents and taking over cities and getting their clean needles and going to the bathroom on the sidewalk? I mean, why don't you just put these people who don't pay their rent out there? You love tents, put them in tents. None of this makes any sense. You shouldn't have people in tents on sidewalks either. You shouldn't have any of that going on. But they're trying, by all appearances, to destroy the entire country, bit by bit by bit. Here's another instance that I can point to, and it's this infrastructure bill. PJ Media has a good piece on this. Republicans cannot vote for the infrastructure bill if these two provisions remain. Here's what they say. If the bipartisan infrastructure bill passes, Senate Republicans who vote for it will have some explaining to do on two provisions buried in the text. One will make it too expensive to drive and the other will eliminate local control of zoning. See? Yeah. And when President Trump stepped in to save the suburbs, he talked about this AFFH rule and he said they want to destroy the suburbs. How many times has this man been right since... He was not allowed a second term in office. Let's phrase it that way. How many times has he been proven right in what the Democrats would do? Open borders, people flooding across our borders by the thousands. McAllen, Texas, a border town, just talked about the fact that 7,000 people with COVID have come into McAllen since February. 
they're letting and, th- and then they talk about a Delta variant and maybe we have to lock everything down. And, oh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, you got to get out of the way. Good for Governor DeSantis for firing back on that yesterday and saying, if you're going to get between parents and their children and the ability of children to get an education over all of this, yeah, I'm going to stand in your way, President Biden, as he should. As he should. We've got all this chaos going on. So let's talk a little bit about this. Both of these provisions buried in the infrastructure bill are extensions of Obama era policy, PJ Media reports, intended to destroy the suburbs by depriving them of funding to repair roads if they don't let the federal government mandate zoning and make commuting from them outrageously expensive. The first unacceptable provision the Republican negotiators agreed to can be found on page 510, if you want to go read the bill. It directs the Secretary of Transportation, that would be Pete Buttigieg, and the Secretary of the Treasury to begin a pilot program for a national motor vehicle per mile user fee. The fee is a revenue mechanism that charges people operating motor vehicles on the surface transportation system based on the number of miles traveled. There it is. Buttigieg was talking about this earlier. There it is. We're going to charge you per mile you drive. Unbelievable. The pilot's objective is to provide recommendations for the adoption and implementation of a national per mile fee for all drivers. So let's see, you close down the pipeline, you get rid of the Keystone pipeline, you start importing oil from overseas, which adds to your carbon footprint. You do all kinds of things to make sure that the, the gasoline, the price of gasoline at the pump skyrockets. Inflation is skyrocketing. People have been locked down at various points in time during the pandemic. You want them to stay at home. You don't want them to commute. Now you're making it even more difficult for people to commute. What's the end game here? Some Republicans support a fee structure, they say, that will impact middle and working class families. According to the Congressional Research Service, this policy is an alternative to the per gallon fuel tax. But anybody who's ever been alive knows taxes never get eliminated. The analysis also notes that both an increase in the fuel tax and a per mile fee will face opposition. These days, who knows? I mean, here we go. The per mile fee would also come with privacy concerns if an electronic method is used to calculate it. The options provided in the legislation are third party onboard diagnostics like a fast pass, smartphone applications, telemetric data installed by automakers, data collected by auto insurers and data from states that got a grant through this federal law. The collection of more personal and location data is not popular with people on the right, but Republicans who long to, quote unquote, get things done and still believe Democrats act in good faith will sign you right up for it. Just keep track. Keep track of what they want to do. This is just, it's incredible. So communities that reject a federal takeover of local zoning, they add, will lose funds in a competitive process. Before the election, President Biden agreed to revive the AFFH rule and add the Booker Amendment. The infrastructure bill operationalizes it without a vote on an explicit measure in Congress. And so-called Republicans are okay with you losing local control of your community. Losing local control of your community. You want that? Is that what everybody signed up for? You like this direction? You're enjoying where it's going? You're enjoying the left getting absolutely everything at once, regardless of whether or not it's legal, regardless of whether or not it's constitutional, regardless of whether or not it's done in good faith. Going back to the eviction moratorium, how many businesses are jacking up the wages they will pay just to get good workers. Why is it that people are on the verge of being evicted by the millions? I don't believe that for a minute. 
they were throwing around the number 11 million. 11 million people could be evicted if we don't get a 60-day eviction moratorium baloney. How many of these people could go out and get a decent paying job who are not working right now and they could pay their rent just fine? How many? I'm sure there are people who are in need. I'm not discounting that, but I don't believe the number is 11 million people. But the government that wants you to depend on it for everything will keep going in that direction until the American people say enough is enough. We are not a free people when the government is doing these kinds of outrageous things to us. And if we don't fight back, there will be more to come. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to have to leave it there here on Janet Mefford today. Help us send 1,500 Bibles to Africa, if you would, through our great campaign with Bible League International. $5 sends one Bible. And if you can help, we'd love for you to join us. Just call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Thank you so much for getting God's Word into the hands of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll see you next time. 